genuine, heartfelt, original music never gets old. Welcome to TK's A Brigade, the music series. I am your host, TK. Today, I have a guest who hails from Nashville, Tennessee via Minnesota. Her name is Jen Bostick. Now, those that know me know that I am not afraid to go out and reach out to artists and musicians and say hello. In the event that I get them to come and talk about their music journey on the podcast is even better. And so that's what I did. I got to interview Jen's brother, Jeff. And through our conversation, Jeff actually said, hey, man, you should reach out to my sister. I think she'd be interested in coming in and just sharing her heart. And I said, that's awesome. So that's what we did today. Jen shared some pretty uh, personal things. Um, nothing that it hasn't been talked about already, but uh, I was honored to sit and listen to her journey. So I hope you enjoy it. So turn your radios up and listen in here on TK's A Brigade. Welcome to TK's A Brigade. We are back at it on the music series. I am TK, your host. And tonight I have a guest who hails from, well, I think you're from Minnesota, right? I am. So you live down south in Nashville currently, right? Down in the uh, Nash Vegas area. I am for the last 14 years. That's awesome. So yes, I have a guest on. Her name is Jen Bostick. And she is a singer, songwriter, artist, um, extraordinaire, actually. She's very, uh, very successful and honestly blown away, Jen, when uh, your brother said to me, hey, would you be interested in talking with my sister? And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Like, I don't have to jump through a thousand hoops <laughs> and like pay a few grand and like stand on my head and do all these like, you know, things to get her to come talk to me. And he was like, nah, I think I just let me talk to her and I think she'd be willing to come and talk to you. I was like awesome so you said yes i and did we are, well i so. appreciate you wanting to know more about my story and share it with your listeners and i'm just grateful to be here well that is like i said a true honor because i started this music series back in um well i had the idea back in october november of last year and uh the first artist that i sat down with is a friend of mine his name is michael hornbuckle and um, Michael is a recovering drug addict who has been a musician since he was like 17. And he, when I asked him, hey, would you sit down and share your journey? And he's like, yeah, man. And I said, is there anything that's not on the table? Because I don't want to, you know, I don't like asking questions or I, I don't want to ask like a surprise question. And then you're like, whoa, what, where, where'd right. that come from? And he's like, you know, no, Trav, there's nothing that's off the table. And I always say this when I talk to artists, too, like, hey, you know, I'm not I'm not here to dig in, like dig up like secrets and skeletons and all that. I just want to like I, I'm just excited to hear all the fun stories, how you got into music, you know, how it started with you, where it's taken you and then like where you are today, basically. So I guess we could start at the beginning and, you know, whatever you're willing to to share with us then i'm willing to absolutely listen, so. well if i get long-winded you just jump in but um yeah <laughs> well <laughs> i'm good i'm good i'm good whatever you want to share jen i am yeah. i'm good so well you know my brother already and um he, right? we yes. grew up in a musical home i mean our parents were always just trying to encourage us to listen to different styles of music my dad was a hobby musician i mean he played anything and was constantly playing guitar or piano after dinner in the evenings and would always put an instrument in our hands so we just grew up loving music and so unfortunately uh, we lost our dad in a car accident that we were both involved in uh, when i was 10 and he was 15 and I think music wow. just really saved both of us in different ways. You know, it was our therapy. We both kind of pressed into songwriting and had our various musical endeavors. And I feel like that really just helped us to process that grief and get through that thing that we didn't know how to get through. You know, like we were young, we were kids. Yes. And he had given us the gift of, you know, music, of appreciating and enjoying music. And so it just felt like, at least for me, whenever I was playing music, I felt closer to my dad. And so it was kind of what I had left of him. Wow. Yeah, so that's how it started. Wow, that's, that's deep. Okay. So you uh, you and Jeff were starting to play music around this same time. I know you guys are, uh, what, five years apart, but yep. you both started to kind of, you know, immerse yourself in, in music. Because let's be honest, like, I think that's one of the biggest and most successful therapy sessions that personally I've, I have ever gone through is immersing into my own writing and my own music. So to hear you say that, it really, um, 
it really affirms that idea that music can really create some healing in, in really tough situations. Absolutely, and that's why it started for me. I had an incredible piano teacher who I was admittedly the worst piano student because I would never practice. And I have like <laughs> oh, I know a, that. <laughs> oh, I have man. a pretty decent ear, so I would just kind of wait for her to play it and then play it back to her rather than practice. But she saw that, and she saw that I... I would enjoy like creating little melodies on the piano rather than reading what was on a page. And so rather than, you know, scold me for not doing it her way, she was incredible. And she helped me write my first song, um, which was about my dad. And um, since then, I just kind of continue to process emotions that way. And in 20, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but in 2011, I ended up writing a song that completely changed my life about the accident um, and it was just kind of everything I was feeling and had bottled up for so many years put into one song and I wrote it with two incredible writers here in town Jimmy Fortune and Zach Runquist. and that song has gone number one for me in England but then also for many other artists in Ireland and some other European countries so it's just been this crazy journey that started all because I needed to like you said have a therapy session and express what was on my heart and through that it's been amazing my biggest thing kind of when I lost my dad was I felt like nobody could possibly understand what I was going through and yeah. that's just not true I mean everybody unfortunately we all are going to go through or have gone through losing somebody we love at some point in our life and I think specifically with that song but I try to do it in my other songs as well is if if I can write in a way that's so authentic and real to what I'm feeling that it makes a listener hear a song and say oh my gosh I'm not alone that is the goal for me that I mean if it can make somebody feel a sense of belonging or you know that they're just they don't have to face whatever their challenge is on their own that to me is a win Absolutely. And, you know, it's crazy you say that because when I started writing music and not to get on me, because this isn't about me, but I just have to just kind of add to the story of what you're saying right now is that, you know, as a kid growing up, I grew up in the Midwest. So I'm from Iowa. So I know you grew up or you were born in Minnesota, right? So yeah. Well, I was born in Philly, yeah, but so. I kind of claim Minnesota. I've been oh, there okay. Long. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Growing up, but growing up in the Midwest, you know, having, um, I don't know, that Midwest feel like family and, and having that closeness to people that you grew up with and then losing somebody, you know, that, that is more than traumatic, I think. But with music, and for me growing up, you know, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church seven days a week. And I mean, I had family, um, you know, all over the country, but the, the essence of being in the Midwest, like there wasn't a lot of influence musically that was from Iowa, right? It was from like other parts of the country. And so the styles and the flavors that I kind of drew on as a kid, you know, the, the gospel and then like, you know, different types of hip hop and whatnot. But growing up in that, you know, coming into my own as a musician myself, really understanding like how emotion can really create uh, effects with other people. And so I feel you when you say that because Man, I'll tell you what, I've never understood until I actually became a songwriter officially how writing lyrics and putting them to melodies can really affect somebody else's mood and how it can really change the way somebody feels and thinks, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I I vibe with so much of what you're saying as far as, you know, growing up in the Midwest, there was a certain flair to growing up in church, like what that sounded like, what worship sounded like. Yeah. And then I actually studied at uh, Berklee College of Music in Boston. And my freshman year, <laughs> my freshman year, the first thing I did was sign up to be in gospel choir. And I remember okay. the first time, I mean, everything's learned by rote. Like you just learn it all by ear that day. And then, you know, the next day you learn something else. But I remember the first rehearsal we ever had for gospel choir. I mean, I was fighting back tears the whole time. And that was you know, of course, the lyrical content, which was very close to my heart because my faith is very important to me, but also just the sound of that many voices in like such a robust way, all singing together. Like there's just something so powerful sonically. And then when you have a powerful lyric on top of that, I mean, it it can honestly, you know, change or shape somebody's heart for sure. 
Absolutely. Okay, I don't want to get too far ahead because I, <laughs> I, I want to know how. Okay, okay. Let's just rewind a little bit. Cool. So you're you're starting to play keyboards. Your brother's like I think he started on bass, right? Or did he start on a different instrument? You know, he might be mad at me for sharing this, but he started <laughs> on the violin. <laughs> yeah, let's go, Jeff. Yes, yeah, I was awesome. always kind of jealous of that as like an older. Uh, now that I'm an adult, I'm like, well, why didn't I get to play the violin? Like, oh he no, started on violin, <laughs> but we started with the Suzuki method, and yeah, he did that first, and then I mean, he can play anything. He can play circles around me on pretty much yes. any instrument. He's insane. That's awesome. Okay, so you're so you're on keys. He's he's learning the, the various arts of the string instrument, and so you start really learning like notes and structures. And at what point did you say, okay, I really want to do this um, as a profession, or was it more like I want to be a rock star and I want everybody to know who I am? Like, what was you know, your kind of way of thinking? At the beginning, I just, like I said, loved music, and I felt like it was the one way I could still connect to my dad. So I threw myself in it, and I didn't really think too far ahead as to what that meant or what that looked like in my future. Sure. I just wanted to be engulfed in it completely. So I was, you know, show choir, marching band, jazz band, like anything musical that I could be in. And then when I was starting to graduate... You know, I was starting to get some affirmation as to, you know, I might be kind of talented at this. I might be able to do this as a career. And I, but I didn't really have the confidence. And uh, I loved the idea of a contemporary music school like Berkeley and kind of applied as like a, ah, I probably won't get in, but it'd be fun to go there, you know. And I actually sure. got a really late acceptance letter. But when I got it, it just felt nice. like I had a piece about like, this is where I'm supposed to go. Like I, everything about it just felt right. And That's I actually awesome. studied music education there because okay, okay. my kind of my heart was in the place of music was so instrumental in me growing up, you know, like just getting through those tough times, whether it was, you know, a breakup with a boyfriend in high school or the significance of losing my dad, you know, everything it helped me process. And so I felt like if I can help other kids, process their emotions through music like what a gift that would be like what how amazing would that be to be a teacher that gets to help kids experience that and I still really have a passion for that and I do a lot of songwriting workshops at, when I'm on tour I'll stop at various high schools and middle schools and teach little songwriting workshops which I love but while I was there at Berkeley I had the opportunity to audition for a few shows and to my surprise I got a chance to be in some of those shows and my confidence started to build nice. I was in a cover band that toured all up and down the east coast and I think there was something inside me like the end of my junior year that said if I don't try to record and perform music as a profession I may regret it forever and so I wow. did my student I mean I went through everything like my student teaching you know I was I was ready to go off and be a teacher and then everything in my heart said go to Nashville and so that's where I moved and that's where I am now and yeah it was a, a crazy journey getting here but I wouldn't trade it for the world well I would love to hear that journey and I, I would I'm interested to know so so you said you were born in Philly you grew up like pretty much in Minnesota now did you ever come to Colorado and live or were you like Minnesota to Berkeley to Nashville so I didn't live in Colorado, but my brother moved there when I was still in high school. So I okay. went to visit him and he was so kind to always try to set up some sort of acoustic show for me to play, you know, whether it was like a few songs or a full set. And I was still trying to vibe out what that coffee shop set even looked like for me. <laughs> and right? so, yeah. yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of this, like, because I was so so new to it all and because I was so vulnerable in those those years I feel like Fort Collins does kind of have like a little bit of a you know hometown feel to me yeah, yeah. It's, it's my yeah. brother's home so it you know I've visited many times so there is a connection to Colorado for sure but I didn't li ever live there okay okay so so you graduate from high school you you uh you kind of like you it sounded like you said you were you didn't think you would get into Berkeley, but you thought, hey, it'd be cool to um, to try to apply. And then you actually were accepted. So then you're headed to Boston. You're going to go to school to learn uh, whatever degree at the time. Like, I, 
you know, you wanted to just learn how to be a better musician. You wanted to, to teach. You, you just said, it sounds like you had a bunch of aspirations before you even started college to just learn music and every aspect of it is what it kind of sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And you asked earlier and I, I never answered it, but of course there was, there were those years and those moments and that little feeling of like, I want to be a rock star, you know, like, of course that was <laughs> anybody who goes into music yeah. who like has the potential of wanting to perform, like has those moments. I think it's been amazing to see how humbled I have been able to be over the years and what, how God continues sure. to shape my, my artistry and how I feel like each album is a totally different genre, but it's been a really neat thing to kind of see that, that girl who was so green that moved to Nashville with this, you know, huge dream in her heart to be the next Carrie Underwood and then getting here and realizing there's actually already one of her. We don't need another one. You know, it's, right. it's been a really, really beautiful thing for me to kind of find myself here in Nashville and have to find myself all over again, you know, every couple of years. That's awesome. Okay. So I, I've got so many questions and, and I've got some goofy questions. So forgive me for the goofy questions, but I love Nashville. I've got friends that live all over Nashville and outside in the surrounding uh, towns and cities in Nashville. Um, and it's so funny that you say, you know, you wanting to go there and the kind of the connection to Minnesota is I was in a rock band in Fort Collins back in 97 through 2000 called Switchback. Nice. And my, yeah, my drummer, his name is Eric Cox. He is a phenomenal musician, but he used to talk about either going to Minnesota or going to Nashville. And when we would drive from Fort Collins to Loveland, because we rehearsed in Loveland, we would talk about like when we moved to Nashville, man, we're going to, you know, we're going to buy a big, you know, uh, you know, plot of land and we're going to build a huge house and, you know, we're going to be famous, rich rock stars that live in Nashville, right? I love well, it. Well, he ended up moving, he ended up moving to Alexandria, Minnesota. And um, my journey with music actually took me to Nashville in 2006 when I proposed to my wife at the Opryland Hotel. Oh my gosh, and that's amazing. Yeah, yes. And even even better was um, and how I got to Nashville. And I, I, I want to get back to your story, but I just got to share this really quick caveat. Um, it was so funny because, you know, him and I talked about it for, you know, like two years. Like every time we'd go to practice, we'd be like, all right, which part of Nashville are we going to go to? Are we going to go to like South Nashville? You know, whatever. But so when we actually visited Nashville in 2006 and I got to go around the city and see the different parts, I just immediately fell in love. And I gotta ask, and this is th such a sidebar to this whole interview, but you've been in Nashville a long time, so you've you've gotta have been to the pantry over in in Vandyland. I have to what? What was that last bit? You the, the the pancake pantry. Oh yes, yes, I've been to the pancake pantry. Okay, okay, and uh, it's so funny. I'm sorry for getting off topic, but I just every that was when we first visited. My friend, who actually uh, his name is Brian Haley, he. He toured with Toby Mac in Diver City for 20 years. He was Toby's drummer. Uh, yeah. Him and I became good friends. And he said, Trav, when you come visit me in Nashville, I'm going to take you to this restaurant called the Pancake Pantry. And I was like, okay. He's like, I promise you the first time that you visit this place, you're going to want to fly to Nashville every weekend just to eat there. And I was like, okay. And, of course, we go and eat there. And then, yeah, I wanted to buy a private jet. But anyways. <laughs> I love it. But, uh, I love it. <laughs> so here you. Okay. So let's get back to your story. I'm sorry. I'm, I just. I'm like I said. I when I get to talking about you know Nashville and music and all that fun stuff. You're in. So okay. Back to your story. You're you're in Boston. Yeah. You graduate from college. Yep. And what what uh, like what was your like what was your direction from there? Who who were you talking to? What were you hoping to do? So the. So Berkeley puts on a spring break trip every year to Nashville and they set up okay. like a panel of incredible people in the industry for us to learn from and, you know, many panels. So you're kind of sitting all day digesting all this information. This is what it would be like to work in this industry. And I went on that trip three of the four spring breaks that I was up there. I loved it so much. Nice. So, I mean, one yes. year... They had, you know, Kathy Matea come in and talk and they, they just had so many different people. And then not only the people who were super successful, but also people who had, you know, just graduated, who are just getting their feet wet. And they we could ask them, you know, anything and just kind of get a vibe for what is 
What is it like to move to Nashville and not know anyone and not really know what you're doing, but wanting to be, you know, in music? And so that was really helpful and just kind of gave me this sense of when I was graduating, okay, if I do want to, you know, chase this dream of being a recording artist and performing artist, like what, where do I go? And the natural kind of cities everybody was talking about was New York, Nashville, or LA. And this Minnesota girl could only see Nashville. (laughs) It was was overwhelming to even think about New York or LA. And I just felt this, there's this small town vibe in Nashville. I mean, you've been here, you know, it doesn't feel like a giant city and it feels totally doable and people are wonderful here. And the collaboration just feels really sweet. And I, I love the, the writing sessions here. Everybody's just willing to write, you know, and see what you come up with. And it feels like that. a pretty even playing field when you start a song. It's like, I don't need a list of, you know, all the songs you've written with all these famous people. I just like, what, how you feeling today? You know, like, so there's a cool vibe right. here that I'm really grateful for. And so that kind That's of, okay. yeah, that kind of made me think Nashville. And when I decided that I called up my friend, Charlie Hutto, who had graduated from Berkeley a few years before I did. And he, we were in a cover band together and he's he was a guitar player for that band and just incredible vocalist and writer and guitarist himself and he was interning at starstruck studios which is i'm sure you know reba mcintyre's studio and so i called him kind of out of the blue and i was like hey i've got like three ish songs that i really want to record i don't even know what it's like to make an album but like can you introduce me to a producer who might help me know how to do that and he was like well can I do it? And I was like, yeah, if you want to. And I already (laughs) knew him. So it was great. And so I sent him my, my songs that I thought I was going to record. And he was very gracious and emailed me back and said, um, we're going to need to start from scratch, (laughs) which was very kind. You know, I just had a lot to learn. You know, my, my toolbox was not full. And so for about six months, three days a week, um, we would write every, you know, every Three, three, three days a week we would just write songs and see until we got 12 that we thought were worth recording and I'm so grateful for that time and the patience that he had with me in helping me kind of develop that skill because I wasn't a songwriting major at Berkeley I had written a couple songs you know like and I'd written a few growing up just trying to process emotions but I hadn't truly been able to craft a song well until that season of my life and it was so worth it. I mean, if you're going to go invest in studio musicians and all of that, you know, take the time to really write the songs and like pre- pre- get the pre-production down and do it, do it right. And so he taught me that right. valuable lesson. And then we had an amazing rate at Starstruck because he was interning there. And we went in with session players and recorded my first album. And it was wow. like, I always call it my master's degree. I feel like I learned... Right. as much if not more in the time that we created that record than I did the whole time I was at school you know it's like it's like a whole nother sure. level of like especially if somebody who like learns by doing and that's definitely me so I feel like I I learned so much in that process and I think it gave me so many so many skills to just move forward and create these other albums you know some of my records have been done uh, in home studios or you know in LA or I've done some in London so it's ev- all my recording experiences are different and it's been so beautiful to kind of have all those experiences to draw from when creating too and kind of as I'm writing a song it's like oh this would be cool if we did it this way and I can kind of draw from a certain song that we recorded a certain way you know it's awesome yeah so who uh, who would you say inspired you musically as a kid and then you continue to kind of go back to that well musically as you got into your teens and 20s and older? Yeah, I always really loved pop music growing up. I mean, I was okay. in school when it was like the Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera years, <laughs> like Spice Girls, yep. boy bands, all okay. of that. Uh-huh. So I okay. so I would say melodically and maybe even hook wise like i've always really gravitated to something like that that's like very singable that you know you can hear on the sure. radio so i i am really inspired by all of that stuff vocally i mean bonnie rate that you she's just amazing nice. you can't like she's yeah. my favorite hands down her susan tedeschi oh, yeah um yes. 
and gr- in college, I lo- and I still do loved Sarah Bareilles that uh, is one voice or little voice, little voice I think it is record that album like oh my goodness and the fact that she was playing piano and singing and same with Nora Jones. I mean, I was in I think I was a freshman Nora in Jones high school Jones. when Nora Jones had her huge year at the Grammys. So yeah, yeah. it's. I feel like I have so many people I could go on and list, you know, <laughs> but, but sure. yeah. That's awesome. And you know, what's crazy too is it's funny how different artists um, can influence you different ways. Like you might, you might follow a vocalist, right? That, you know, that's the style of vocals that you sing. But then as a, as a, as a musician, like the keyboard player or guitarist or whatever, you follow it maybe you might follow somebody different and it might be the same person that does both right but it's cool that you you can draw from different wells of talent and allow them to kind of shape who you are because you said you know i I, I think you said earlier that when you first got there you were kind of like oh you know i want to sing like this i want to sound like that but i i think what i've learned what i've personally learned in my own self as an artist and and working with other people is that when you start to become your own person as far as a musician and an artist, then you really want to create your own sound and you want to create your own, kind of your own niche, your own ability to do you. Even though you have these influences from other people, you still want to create that uniqueness that you, as you, as a person and as an artist are. And I think that's really cool when you can finally do that as an artist because then when people listen to your music, they're like, oh, that's blah, 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 or that's this person. Not, oh, that person sounds like this person, or that person reminds me of that person, which those are things are good. But I think, you know, truly when you come into your own, and again, this is just me personally, but I think it really, it sets that that tone for like, okay, I want this, I want people when they hear my music, I want them to know that this is coming from me and not something like a cover tune because and again i don't have nothing wrong with cover tunes or nothing like that i just think it's 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 a set apart when people write their own stuff and it could be good bad or ugly when they do but when you know fans hear it they're like oh that's jen bostic i know that i i would know her voice anywhere and i think that's really unique and that's to me is super cool that you know just just saying yeah, well, I I think that was a, a compliment in there as well, which I'm really thankful for. Oh, but I I know <laughs> what you're no, no compliment. Yes. Well, no, but I I absolutely I know what you're saying because I feel like I learned the lesson that you just described almost the hard way. But like I said, my first record, I always consider it like my master's degree. I was trying to write songs that I thought country radio might want to play. And so sure. while those songs were true to, you know, feelings or thoughts I had and people in my life and all of that, I, it wasn't until my second record that I really had to like go back to the drawing board and say, why am I writing these songs? Why, why is it important for me to say these things? And for me, it was, you know, my, like back to losing my dad, like the first song I ever wrote was about him and it wasn't the one that, you know, had success, but it was that was the feeling the very raw emotion and i didn't write that for a record label i wrote it from my heart you know and so that my second record that's when jealous of the angels the song that kind of changed my life that's when that song was written and it really that whole record which is called jealous the album is called jealous and the that record i feel like i got a chance to find out what i do musically you know, when I'm not that's thinking awesome. about what is everybody else want. And that's evolved, you know, like that has changed. And, you know, you go through different management or publishing or whatever, and there you grow as a person. So you're growing musically. You're inspired and influenced by things that you're hearing. And like even, you know, the, the list that I gave you is like, those are all people that I still would listen to and love. But now you've got more people in the mix that are doing things differently that are, you know, it, it's inspiring so you want to draw from that too so it's Absolutely. it has been and you gain confidence you know i i started i never wanted to play piano for myself ever like i just wanted to sing sure but right. it's really expensive to hire a guitarist or a piano player <laughs> to come on the road a good one yes so, yes yeah. i agree <laughs> so i just had yes. to had to learn i had to be able to play for myself and so it's you know you, all these things happen in life and it it definitely makes you the artist that you are and it 
you know, the more authentic you can be, as you know, as a writer, you know, like the more authentic you can be at the drawing board, the better. And those are the songs that people connect with the most, or the ones that, you know, you you write and you are in tears by the end of it because you're like, this is exactly what I needed to say right now. And then absolutely somebody hears it and you know they realize they're not alone. Yes, it's so crazy you say that too because. I remember when I sat down and first started writing, like really writing music. Um, the first song I ever wrote was called "Train of Memories," and it was that. It was it was a um, it was a visual. It was, it was a lyrical visual interpretation of things that I've gone through as a Christian. You know, struggling with my faith, struggling with my you know family, and just you know tough times in my life. And obviously, you know. I don't think you can really, and you can't really capture all of your, like your life emotions in one song necessarily. I think when you do, and I think like Jealous of the Angels, that song has, is so impactful because when you learn the backstory of, of how and why you wrote that song, I think I listened to it three separate times in one day because like every time I listen to it, I'm like, I'm picturing you pouring your heart out about you know, just the loss and the tragedy that you went through and, and having to cope with it and deal with it. And, and, and just like the metaphor of jealous of the angels, like, and just picturing that, like sitting in heaven. Right. And like, like, Hey, you get to be with my dad and I'm here, you know, still, and, and you get to be with him. And I, I just think that that really, that again, and, and I want to clarify, yes, what I was saying earlier was absolutely, I was definitely complimenting you because, again, you are, you are an amazing, um, you know, artist in so many ways. And I say that not to fanboy out, but simply to say, like, when you when you meet somebody as humble and they have talent like what you do and who you are successfully, it's 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 encouraging as an artist like myself because then I'm like you know what here's somebody who's been successful and is continuing to be successful and is willing to come and sit with a nobody you know and talk and share their journey like to me that that just really inspires because it's like hey there's you know not everybody's ego driven and not everybody wants to be this famous you know rich rock star and you know forget the little people like there are actually people that have you know, compassion and, and are willing to share their journeys. And I, I just, again, I'm, I'm so honored that I get to hear this and I'm excited to know some more about how you transferred from Boston to Nashville and how your career really started to take off. Like what really kickstarted what you were doing in Nashville? Yeah. Well, firstly, thank you. And secondly, everybody is somebody. So you know, I, I think Thank you. people <laughs> are people and I'm super grateful. I mean, the people that listen to my music and have continued to buy it and stream it and all that, like that's why I get to keep doing what I'm doing, you know? So right. I am yeah. grateful for everyone for sure. <laughs> for sure. That's um, awesome to hear. Yeah. But to answer your question, uh, so I did this first record, like I told you, and then my sweet friend, Charlie, kind of tried to help connect me with people he knew, and I ended up at a, I'm going to keep them nameless because it is a very well-known record label, but I ended up in a, <laughs> a meeting with a record label, and I was told I was too pop for country and too country for pop, and oh, wow. it was just one of those things that like not even a, it's not even a diss it's just kind of like that we don't really know what to do with you or what you what you are or whatever you know which was fair because we talked about it as much as i love that first record i don't know that i was a hundred percent authentic you know like i i could have dug a little deeper and which i did for my second record and um so i i had this album though and i had you know spent my savings on it and i wanted to i wanted to go on tour i mean that's what we want to do yes. right as artists yes so absolutely i did not have a booking agent knocking down my door i just picked up the phone and Google searched any coffee shop I could with within a radius of a friend that had a couch that I could sleep on. And Let's I go. agreed to, you know, play for tips only in many places. And I went with a, a friend of mine and we did like three weeks straight. I think we played every single night. Most of those gigs were just for tips and selling our CDs. And we came home in the green, which is like, I don't even know how awesome. we did it. Like, I mean, that right? was, yeah, I was, with all the yeah. gas money we were spending and everything else, like, I don't know how we did it. But when we got home, 
rather than being incredibly exhausted, which I also was, I was just so like a cloud nine. Like I have to do this again. When can I go again? How can I do this again? How can I do this bigger? How can I, you know, improve this? And so I just started like rapid fire booking as many shows as I possibly could. Like there was a season of my life when I was playing 260 dates a year. Like whether it was oh a my. coffee shop, a house concert, a theater, a, like wh- whoever would listen to me saying I would sing for them, you know, like it was, go. I yes. was, I just wanted to play. And, um, there, it was a few years like that. And I have, I still love playing so much and I, you know, I try to get out as much as I can. I do have a newborn now, so I have a three month old baby boy, so it's going to be a little bit that's harder. Awesome. <laughs> I'll have to be a little sure. more intentional, but that's kind of how it started for me. I kept writing a ton because Nashville is such a songwriting town and there's sessions happening all the time and so I was already writing for my next record and I was I had met at that point a a gentleman named Jay Frank and he found me through a songwriting competition I had submitted for and I had won and I constantly was trying to increase my chances of luck by you know entering competitions, touring as much as I can, playing for free, whatever I could do. And I met Jay and he, I got a call one day. I was in the middle of a tour. I was in Minnesota. He calls me and it was his secretary or something. And he, she said, I have Jay Frank from CMT uh, on the phone for you. And I was like, this is a scam. Oh, okay. Like this isn't real. Right. You know, like <laughs> a scam. I love that. Like, nah, it's not yeah. really. No, no. So it was. Oh, it was Jay. And um I didn't know him okay. at the time, but he's like, Hey, I heard your song. It's a song off my first record called Kiss My Rainy Day Away. And he said, I heard this song. I you know, I was the next judge on this uh competition that you just won and I just want to talk to you and I thought you were in Europe but then I realized you're in Nashville and I'm in Nashville so you know can we get together for coffee or something when you're back in town so I was excited because you know any win is a win and he ended up becoming a dear friend a mentor my first publisher just incredible guy um I he was I always say he was the first person to like really believe in me outside my family that like would you know help me any way he could musically and I'm so so grateful for him unfortunately he passed away a couple years ago um but he still is I mean just so many things that he taught me are just I'm still doing you know what between marketing and everything like that he just taught me so much and I really credit a lot of the success of Jealous of the Angels to him he knew what to do when the song went viral he knew you know when it started resonating with people he knew how to get it to radio he knew how to do all these things and i'm so so grateful for him so he really helped like catapult things he introduced me to the producer that uh produced that original recording named barrett uratzian and barrett's amazing he produced half of uh, my second album and then a lot of my third album and so that connection was just such a gift and we wrote so many songs together he has a very incredible um like hit maker mind as far as like he just he would help me think in a different way when we were writing a song like he would know how to write for radio and um after the success of jealous of the angels the version that he produced um i had a chance to get in the room with a lot of other writers for my third album and um one of those was a, a writer named lauren christie and yes. for those of you, well, you sounds like you're familiar with her, but for those who aren't, um, she was part of a writing group called The Matrix, and they wrote so many hits that you know. Uh, two of my favorites are Skater Boy and Complicated for Avril Lavigne. Uh, Remedy for Jason Mraz. I mean, she's written with Dua Lipa. She's written with Bibi Rexa. I'm just corn. So, I mean, the, the list is endless. Extensive. Um, wow. But yes. yeah, she is incredible and my manager at the time had sent her jealous of the angels and she wasn't really writing with unsigned artists um but she was kind enough to agree to have coffee with me and she's like you know she can we can talk about the business and whatever she wants to talk about and i went to her house that day and i remember praying on the way there and i was like Mm. so nervous i felt all this pressure from you know that i was putting on myself but also that i was in my mind my team was putting on me and but 
anyway, on the way over there, I just prayed and I was like, Lord, I can't make anybody like me. So like if this, please help me to be myself and not to be a nervous wreck in there. Like, and right. if this is meant to be, you know, open that door. And if it's not close it, because this is the only way I'm going to get through this coffee without being, you know, a crazy person. And so <laughs> <laughs> within, no, it's funny. I love it. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's honest, but Yes. We sat down to coffee, and within five minutes, she asked me if I had any song ideas, which always have a song idea in your pocket when you go into a writing session. That's my best advice. <laughs> and um, right. I did have a song idea, and um, we wrote that idea as well as another one that day that we weren't supposed to write any songs, and we shared uh -oh. our entire, you know journey of faith and she had just become a christian about three years before that and let's go it was just like this really beautiful synergy sisterhood that immediately was there and we we wrote a few songs for my third record actually half the record i wrote with her and her brother brandon christy produced it uh with paul wiltshire part of those songs that we did together and um lauren and i just like really connected you know she just became a very fast friend sister mentor and um i am telling you all of this because in 2018 we had we had kind of written together here and there when i was in la she would always make time for me if i had a trip out there which is where she lives and um nice i released a, a song off my fourth album revival it's called lamp the song that we wrote together so we were still writing together a little bit but you know, we didn't talk every day by any means. And in 2018, as I was releasing my revival album, I was really praying, kind of saying, Lord, I don't know what's next. You know, like my bank account's empty. Like I have poured everything into this record. Like I, if you want me to do something else, like I'd love to do a record, a worship album or a Christian album for you. But like, I want to know it's a calling. So I just kept praying about that and wanting him to kind of affirm it. And then yes. Lauren called me out of the blue about a week after that prayer. And she's like, hey, Jen, um, I've been praying a lot about this, but I really want to do a Christian album. She's like, I've had so much success in the pop world that I really want to do an album that honors God. And every time I pray about it, he puts you on my heart. So would you pray about doing a Christian record together? I'll fund it. We'll write all the songs together and you'll come out to LA and record it and we'll just see what happens. We'll just do it for God. And you know, we won't listen to the radio. We'll just do it because we want to honor and honor him. And uh, it was a very quick prayer. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is confirmation to a prayer. I've already prayed. Right? <laughs> yeah. Already, already been praying about it. So yes. And so we started writing for that record. Uh, oh my goodness. I grew spiritually musically emotionally everything for the, throughout that process Benj Hurd was uh, the producer on most of the stuff um, we released an EP that was the first half of that project uh, that got released in November of 2019 then okay. I was on tour in Europe I've done a lot of touring in Europe because that's where Jealous of the Angels broke years ago and um, I was on tour in Europe and and it was March of 2020, and we all know what happened in March of 2020. Yes, so <laughs> I had to rush home in the middle of my tour and cancel half my dates. And no one really knew what to do with music. Nobody really knew if we should be releasing or holding or what. Right. So we right. had this project that we just loved and didn't want to, you know, just throw against the wall, not knowing what was happening. But we did start to drip out some singles, and one of those was a song called Wrapped that. I remember sitting on a train from Scotland to England and it was the, I think two days before you weren't apparently going to be allowed back into the U S and I had friends oh, wow. just two like, days even. yeah, I had friends just blowing wow. up my phone. Like you need to get on a plane, you know? And I had a really strong feeling that I was supposed to do this one last show. And so I stuck it out and I'm so glad I did because it was the sweetest. It was in a town called Dronefield, England. And um, this whole gospel choir had learned, you know, my music and they sang with me. And it, it was a really special show to end on because I haven't been back since. And the hope is that I'll get back there either this summer or next year. But it was it was the perfect way to end it. But in that time, I was there was a, a lot of me that was terrified. I wasn't going to make it home before whatever was happening happened. Right. And I, you know. And so I had yes. to choose faith over fear second by second. And I remember sitting Let's on a train go. from Scotland to England for this last show. And 
everyone around me is talking about it, right? Like you can't get away from it. It's just like you're in public transport and like everybody's talk, like nervous and, you know, wearing, freaking starting out, to wear yep. masks and freaking out. And I oh, yeah. had this song that this rapped song that Lauren and I had written. It was done and produced, but we were just kind of holding it for the next section pile of songs. And so I put my ear- headphones on and I just listened to that song on repeat and there was something in it. The chorus is, I'm saved, I'm loved, I'm wrapped in the arms of God. And there was something in that that, like, it just, I I needed to remind myself of that. You know, like, I needed to remember yes. that that's what I believe and that I would get home safe. And so Amen. when I got home to the States, thankfully, I got home on that very last day we were supposed to be able to get in. Um, I called Lauren and I just said, hey this brought me so much peace. If it brings one person peace during this unknown crazy season, like it's worth it. I want to release this song. And she of course was on board and we released that one as a single and then started to release singles after that. Um, one being the new version of Jealous of the Angels that has Amazing Grace on it. And we just slowly dripped out singles to this album that just got released in this past July, this past summer, I finally released the record. And oh, wow. you had asked me, I know, so a long process, but sometimes sure. I, I know, think, that's good. I think like it almost needed to be that way. I think I had a chance to really sit with those songs and live out those songs in a way that was fresh before the record actually came out and wow. going through, you know, what we all went through in 2020 and just like having to kind of learn to trust almost all over again you know like just what does trust really mean and what do i really believe and you know i study all these things in scripture and like here here we are with something that's very unknown you know like how are you going to respond to this and everything else that was happening in the world at the time at the time so i looking back I am grateful that it took so long. In the moment, I was not grateful that it took so long. Right. But, uh, <laughs> oh, well, no, because it's, it's yeah. right there. But in hindsight, you look at it and you go, okay, I realize, God, why you had me wait for this season to change yeah. for me to move forward with this. Because like you said, you kind of had to live through it. And so the experience, like it really, I think it sounds like it became more 3D versus yeah. just writing a really good song that you know people would like but then now the experience and now that you're sharing you know that experience with people and i think yeah it really just allows people to um you know even just attach themselves more to it then yeah that's awesome yeah and i think i'm segueing us into the song that you asked me about before this interview was it leave it at the cross is that the song you asked me about yes well that was i think you did that live at a uh was it a coffee shop or um, I'm sure it was something <laughs> it was a, it was a live it was like a live acoustic performance you were playing keyboard and I believe somebody was playing cello oh yes bass. yes my very yes. dear friend Brian Sutherland and that was yes, yes for CCM cafe uh here in Nashville for CCM love magazine. that performance by the way just thank you I love because it's well and the reason I've, I've seen a lot of shows you know blah 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 but the thing that I always love about live music is you can go in the studio as an artist and you can record a, a, a section or a whole take, you know, a thousand times and make it perfect. But when you go out and you perform live in front of an audience, whether it's a person or a million people, there's no reduce. Like once you've hit that note and whether it's a good note or a bad note, once, you know, you go off on a, a tangent, that's just what it is. And so seeing live performances when people, you can just see that polished you know, mm. that, that vet style. And I, so when I watched it and so you have that aspect of it and then the lyrics and the way that you, you just put your heart into it, it was really, yeah, it was really moving. I really enjoyed well, thank it. thank so. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. So, so I, I got mean, a couple uh, quick questions. Yeah. Go for it. Oh, go, okay. Well, I just, so I always like to ask the artists that I talk to a couple of kind of just fun questions about their touring career. Cause when you said, you know, what's uh that that's one of the like the goals you know you got to go tour right because you got to hear people got to hear music or i mean if you sat in your basement and played music the rest of your life you might be the greatest musician of all time but if nobody hears you then it doesn't matter right right and so so one of my one of my dreams as a kid so like i said i grew up in the church 
And, you know, it's, I'm from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I always tell people this, but it, the Midwest, you know, people don't think that famous or successful or big-time uh, musicians actually come through the Midwest, which is absolutely untrue. In fact, so untrue. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the main event center in downtown Cedar Rapids is called the Five Seasons Center. When I was a kid, growing up in the 80s and 90s, we had everybody from Kiss to Michael Jackson to Elton John, like you name it. Anybody that was that was big would come through and play. Well, the first big show that I ever saw in the Five Seasons Center, I was uh, 10 year, uh, no, I was 11 years old, and it was Michael W. Smith's Go West Young Man Tour. And DC Talk was opening for Michael W. Smith. Yes. Now, I had never been to a... I seen Carmen live at a church, right? I had seen other artists like um, Phil Keggy. I saw him at our church when I was younger. Um, But I'd never been in a major arena before. And so I'll never forget my friends... uh, The friend that I'd went to that show with, his, his aunt had worked at the radio station in town, the Christian radio station. And she had gotten two tickets for him. And he was like, hey, man, I got these tickets to the show. It's uh, DC Talk, I think. And this guy named Michael W. Smith, do you want to go? And I was like, I'm literally jumping up and down going, bro, wait, are you serious? Absolutely. So when we get to the venue and I see all the tour buses out front, I'm like, what is that? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, <laughs> what are those things, bro? He's like, I think they're buses, man. I think that's how the, the bands move around. I'm like, I want to live on one of those. Because you can go anywhere in the world on a tour bus, right? I mean, if it, even if it's a different tour bus, you could fly over to Europe and then jump on a tour bus and tour all over. You so can. I was, I was just, from that day, I was like, okay, I want to live on a tour bus. Well, so we go in the show. It's, you know, 10,000 people sold out, you know. The, music, the lights drop, the music starts, you know, DC Talk comes out, they do like a 30-minute set. They got dancers, they've got lights, they've got smoke, they've got the whole thing. And I'm like, I want to do that. I want to go and I want to perform live for people. And I'll never forget thinking to myself, I never wanted to be, and I still don't to this day, that was 20, 29, 30 years ago. I don't, I never thought to myself, I want to be a famous, rich musician. No, I want to go out and I want to get on stage and I want to perform for an audience. And my hope and prayer, Jen, in that audience, if even one person, if there's a million people, one person who's lost that thinks that their life is over and they have no hope and they might even go home that night after the show and, you know, consider committing suicide, right? Or, you know, consider like ending their life. And that one show, God moves in that time. The Holy Spirit moves in the moment of the music. And they get a, a glimmer of hope. And they get a glimmer of, uh, of that God loves us. And to me, you know, having that opportunity to, to be able to be a musician and play out, that's always been something for me, too. So that's so I, beautiful. I didn't mean to take over the interview. I just... No, that's so I, beautiful. You say that, you know. I love it. And that's that's such a an incredible thing. And I... Yeah, I resonate with so much of what you just said. And to know it's so interesting because, I mean, Michael W. Smith just there. He just has a beautiful anointing on his life. Like he just, you know, he and you saw him, you know, at a crowd for 10,000 people. And just, well, it was a few months before I had my son. So five months ago, maybe um, I was I attended a, a a something called hope in the gate it's i where i got to write with um write with people that uh to help them therapeutically basically music therapy and then we shared the songs and that michael w smith ended up making a guest appearance it was out at amy grant's farm and he came and i had like my little nord electro and he sat at it and he you know just started singing this is how i fight my battles and like you're in a barn and like the spirit's moving and it's like there is he just like is he's so humble and just you know he'll he doesn't care where he is he just wants to sing and worship the lord and you know bring people with him and like that it's yeah i love that that's the person that you brought up with that story because i feel like what a perfect example of somebody who does that all the time yes oh man here we are in so you said 2018, you like things really, I, I mean, cause it sounded like you said before 2018, you were, you had success, but you were, 
you still hadn't really hit the pinnacle yet. Is that kind of what it? Or does that is that right? Like you had. Yeah, really, I mean, okay. it's tough to know. You know where where's the pinnacle? Like I feel really grateful Fair that enough. like I had the success with Jealous of the Angels that I think led to many opportunities, and I think it's it's such a beautiful thing that these like even the genre of like things that I've done has shifted and changed and moved as I have grown in in those ways and I think I used to kind of as soon as I'd finish a record yes I was excited to go out there and tour it but while I'm out there touring it it's like well what do I do after this you know I have to record it and I, I feel like I've stopped worrying about that I feel like the Lord has shown up time and time again with these new ideas and new avenues and new connections and it's just like okay i'm just on the ride you know like as long as yes he's being glorified and like i am trying to use the the gifts that he gave me in the best way i know how you know like that's we'll have a good time and he always provides and now you know i have a whole new inspiration with my family you know like i have a whole new thing happening here so it's it's just beautiful to see how all of it unfolds and how i'm not in control as much as my song leave it at the cross is just to, I needed that as an anthem because I am a type A control freak, like I self-proclaimed. <laughs> but uh, the sure. Lord just <laughs> continues to remind me that I'm actually not in control of any of it, you know. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. It's, it's a humbling experience to to learn that because I'm the same way. Like I, I I've got to like I'm almost OCD about making sure it's everything is a certain way. And you're like, and then the Lord reminds us like, hey, no, 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 no. I mean, you can be in control, but then. Just remember that, you know, you're going to struggle. I'm over here and I'm willing to just trust me. And I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Yeah. And I, I'm with you, man. I, 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 That's crazy. And So, okay. Oh, man, I, there's so many things I want to ask you and it's it's funny. Um, so, are you still there, Jen? Yes. Are you still there? Okay, sorry. Okay. Very good. Um, so there we go. Um, so, Okay, I have three questions, and then we can wrap this up for tonight. Okay. Um, again, I'm honored that you're here with me tonight. My first question is, when you write, so do you go into kind of a, a mode when you start writing, and is there a place in town that you like to go and sit and, like, draw from as you write? So I have a home studio that I have decked out to be very me it has a lot of purple and a lot of sparkle and it has we i have a digital roll-in piano that i love and this is my creative space i mean i've kind of made it so that when i come in here i can shut the door and create so i would say if any place like this is where i find it you know i i can kind of tap into whatever i'm feeling i do a lot of writing sessions here in the studio but then of course there's many publishing houses I've written at throughout Nashville as well. So, yes, you know, it's awesome all yeah. over. But I do love my room. I needed a space like that in my house that I could just kind of shut the door to everything else in the house and just create. Absolutely. And, and that's the uh, I think that's cool because, you know, like you said, you've been all over the world. And um, the one place that you feel like in your room, the, the most comfortable or it sounds like that you say it's the most like the place where you really draw the most for what you want to say in your music. That's awesome. I, I feel you. I'm the same way. So that's cool. Okay. So second question, and I usually typically ask all the artists, especially touring artists, is what is the biggest crowd in your career that you've gotten to play in front of all the years that you've gotten to tour and play music? Oh, man. That's a great question. Um... Well, festivals are so hard to know who, how many people are even there. Um, Very true. Very true. You know, I'll just, and this, I think this is accurate, but, and I couldn't give you a number, but I think the Grand Ole Opry House was maybe the biggest. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. That's a great venue. Wow. It's an amazing venue. I had one of those moments, uh, like you talked about. Um, with Michael B. Smith when I was watching Carrie Underwood on that stage and okay, it okay. wasn't quite as emotional or deep as the moment you had I just saw her standing on that stage and I got so overwhelmed with emotion and I just thought I would really love like it is a dream that I have to sing on that stage someday and then the right. you know that became a dream realized which is just such a gift oh that's amazing so that would lead me to my last question then 
is what is the most favorite venue of all the venues you've got to play? And it's and I, I want to I want you to say it, but I but it sounds like that. But I mean, of all the venues around the world that you've got to play in, what is your most favorite memorable venue? Yeah, that's so hard. Uh, I would say <laughs> I <love> that. that <laughs> answer. I would say probably. Because here's why. Here's why it's such a hard thing is because each, and you know this from being a writer and performer, but each venue, like you could be playing in like the most dive bar spot in the middle of nowhere, but if that night has magic in it, like it doesn't, you know, so I have so many of those gems in the US, in England, like that I just love. Of course, the iconic dream venues were the Ryman Auditorium and the Grenell Opry and Lingett Center. You know, those are all amazing places that I feel so blessed to have had a chance to play. But man, it's it's so tough because every show is so special. And like the Bluebird Cafe, it's like this, like not what you expect when you walk in. Right. But like, right. Absolutely. It's like like holy ground almost for songwriters, you know, so it's it's. It's hard to pick a favorite. I'm, and each experience is so different. Well, and that's what's cool about it too. And and, I, and I'm glad that you, honestly, I'm glad that you answered that way from your perspective because when you say everything has its own unique moment, so you might have had a moment when you were over in Europe, for example, and where you played a venue, and it could have been 50 people, right? And and that 50 people venue. You just felt so comfortable and the, the, the sound was perfect and the audience just responded to you in a way and everybody was super friendly. And then you go and you play a venue where there's 5,000 people and the same kind of feeling only it's just a lot more people. And, you know, and maybe afterwards after the show, you know, you got to meet some fans and, and they just made you feel like they just made you feel that, that feeling like, hey, this was awesome. Like, and that feeling, I think... Again, that that to me is why I've always wanted to be a musician as well is because or you know an artist that that plays out is again not getting the accolades or getting the um, you know the fanboy from fans or any of that because honestly I've never really dealt with that but but <laughs> but more like but more more connecting with people what you perform your music and then you get to connect with them when you're done and and it and there's just like this this chemistry like you know this unspoken chemistry of hey that music moved me thank you for doing that i'm going to continue to listen to whatever else you put out and you say thank you for being a fan and then you know you move on to the next venue the next city and stuff and you get to do that all over again i think that's i don't know that to me is like i don't know that's a dream for me so yeah for sure so oh man this has been fun um so fun thank you so much for having me well, I love it. So, what do you uh, what, what do you got going on for twenty three and and beyond, Jen? What are you uh, what are you hoping to do here this year? So, I am just starting to write for my next album. So, you know, who knows how long that's going to take until I feel like I've got a collection of songs that I'm ready to run with. But um, I'm definitely getting to back out on the road this year. I'm going to kind of finish some of the touring I didn't get a chance to do last year. Um, with my record you find a way that came out in july so i got to tour it somewhat but i kind of pushed pause late october because i had a baby in november so i am gonna get out there and uh yeah so i'm gonna get out there and play some of that music and start writing for the next record and yeah just see what happens like i said i try not to put too much pressure on it like i used to because the lord always comes through in a way that i is unexpected you know Yes. Oh, I agree. I agree. Is there anybody that you would love to get? Like, if, if, if there's an artist out there right now, and I know you mentioned Carrie Underwood a few times, so maybe her, but is there an artist out there that you, they reach out, their management reaches out and says, hey, come, you know, tour with us. Is there somebody that you would love to go on the road with and, and tour with? I have a long, long list. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, Bonnie you Raitt. To share any of them? Yeah, Bonnie Raitt is okay. has been my favorite okay. forever. I mean, Tedeschi okay. Trucks. I love them, and it depends because yes. again, I have music in various genres. You know, right? I've got different albums. With this Christian yes, album, yeah. I mean, for King and Country, I love them. Oh, wow. I love Phil Wickham. I mean, there oh, there's so yes. many, like so many people that I would love to tour with. So. Who knows what God's got up his sleeve? Because 
you know, you never know what could happen, but there's a lot of, and my, Blessing Offer is a friend of mine and like, I love his music too. So it's just, yeah, you never know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, that's awesome, Jen. Thank you again for coming on today. We are out of time. However, I truly enjoyed learning more about you, Jen, and uh, I'm excited to see where your career takes you from here. I know that you've already seen major success, but uh, you know God's got so much more for you, so that's amazing. I've been talking with Jen Bostic. Uh, what a truly amazing story, uh, tragedy, but triumph as well. Uh, can people find your music uh, on your website? Yeah. Cool. What's the website? Yeah, jenbostic.com, J-E-N-N-B-O-S-T-I-C.com. And then also I'm on all the social platforms with the same name. So hopefully I'll see you all there. Yes, go check out her music. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. She has some really cool videos up as well with her playing at different venues. So definitely don't miss out on uh, Jen's music. I believe she's got some new music coming out this year. So be on the lookout for that. You've been listening to TK's A Brigade, the music series. I'm your host, TK. And we are getting to the end of this series, so stay tuned for June because we will be launching new episodes in June. Uh, please go like and subscribe. Support the podcast. Leave a comment or a question. Leave some feedback for topics that we can talk about on the podcast because I love getting feedback. So until next time, people, take it easy.